You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hi, and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 24. I am so excited um, today about our topic. We're going to be talking about seed saving. Um, and I am uh, here with Chris, one of our regulars. Hello. And our special guest, Ben Cohen. Hello. And Ben uh, is an author, herbalist, gardener, seed saver, and educator. He's the owner of Small House Farm and the founder of Michigan Seed Library, a community seed sharing initiative that has worked to establish nearly 70 seed library programs. Cohen offers workshops and lectures across the country on the benefits of living closer to the land through seeds, herbs, and locally grown food. And he has published numerous works on these topics, including his most recent book, Saving Our Seeds, which I have here with me today. Uh, he serves on the boards of the International Herb Association, the Slow Food Arc of Taste Seed Bank, and the Advisory Council for the Community Seed Network, a multinational education and networking platform. And you can learn more about his work by visiting his website, smallhousefarm.com. So, Ben, you are a busy guy, um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and share your knowledge um, and I, I, before we jump into what you do and everything, um, we met at the Mother Earth News Fair in, in Belton, Texas in February. Um, you were giving a talk on seed saving, and I happened to attend it and was just fascinated with what I heard. Um, I had recently, well, I started gardening last year, but I hadn't really gotten into seed saving. So this really uh, kind of kick-started that, that part of my gardening education. So thank you for that. Um, and... Yeah, can you just kind of tell us how you got into this and, and what it is, you know, that you're you're trying to promote with this seed saving initiative? Well, sure. First, Jennifer, I guess thank you for having me on your show. I'm I'm really excited about it. It was nice to meet you at the Mother Earth News Fair. That was a really really fun event, um, and I'm happy to hear that you kind of caught the bug and that you're going to get some more into seed saving now. That's 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 awesome. That's music to my ears to hear something like that. Um, you know, I so I started seed saving, you know, probably almost a decade now decade ago that it was uh, and really at first it was kind of just an economics thing um, as, as a small-scale homesteader saving the seeds from my garden just made sense to me instead of purchasing new seeds every year I, I considered it really just as another input as you would you know your uh, soil or your water your nutrients seeds were just another input and if I could provide that for myself that just made good sense to me but over the years I've come to learn the seeds are so much more than just an input or just a commodity you know, seeds are our connections to our history, to our communities. Local seeds is what ensures food security. And when I can get communities involved in their seeds, active, actively involved in their seeds, that's okay. I like rock and roll too, right? Um, <laughs> it, it helps ensure food security in these communities. And, and when you can get folks out in the soil involved in their own food production – I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can do to, to improve our communities and, and really to, to make the world a better place. Yeah, and um, you mentioned that seed saving is connects to our history and, and all that. Um, you, you had some pretty powerful stories about some folks across the country who had saved these seeds that they either acquired through um, – interesting interactions with people or a family member, a loved one. Um, would you mind maybe sharing one of those with us? Do you have a, a favorite or a quick one that you could kind of share to kind of, I guess, 
give our listeners an idea of the, you know, how the, how profound this can be for folks? Sure. Um, you know, I, I've been lucky to, to travel to so many places and meet so many seed keepers. Um, it's always it's always so inspiring to, to find people like myself in all these different places that I go, people that I can learn from, people that I can share with. Um, you know, I've really been blessed to have that opportunity to do that. And so many stories. Uh, but the one I'll tell actually is, is my first seed story. And in my first book, From Our Seeds and Their Keepers, we touch on this story. But I'll tell it to you here because I think it's so inspiring. You know, years ago, before I was ever a seed saver, and, you know, I was a gardener, uh, but I never saved seeds before. And I used to, to visit a local nature center by me. And um, they had a an heirloom garden there, and they have an old sugar shack and schoolhouse. And they do, like, reproductions of the life in the 1800s, you know. And we would go there and, and visit and see the, see the sites. And I was always fascinated with the garden and, and the varieties that they grew there. And one day I had the opportunity to meet the caretaker. And I said to him, Rob Maxwell was his name. And I said to Rob, I said, Rob, I don't understand the dates on these signs, you know, all these from the 1800s. Like, there's no way you're growing seeds that are that old, you know. I know that much, at least. I says, no, you know, Ben, these are heirlooms. We've been, we've been able to trace these seeds back, you know, till, till the 1800s from one hand to the next. And I didn't, I didn't really understand what he was saying. And, you know, he took a handful of pods, bean pods, out of one of the plants, and he put them in my hand. And he said, Ben, you take these seeds home. You grow them. Save your seeds from your harvest and share them with your friends. So that's what I did. Uh, we grew them. I took such good care of those beans. They're Cherokee Trail of Tears, a black, black-seeded pole bean. Um, oh, and they were so prolific. I really cared for them. I really babied these guys, you know. And uh, I got quite a harvest. I didn't eat any of the beans. I saved all the seeds. So at the end, I had a big old bag of beans. So now i got to share them with my friends, right? So we, we organized a seed swap. I'd never been to a seed swap before, but I had friends that had, you know, had, had been to similar events. And so let's, let's put together this seed swap. And 100 people came to this thing. People I didn't know. People came from all around to share these seeds. And I told everybody the story of the black beans. and I passed them out, right? And then the next year, people came back and they brought the beans with them. They said, I grew the seeds just like you said, Ben, and I saved my seeds. Now what do I do, right? So and now cool. dig this. Think about this. Yeah. If 12 people saved those seeds and shared them with their friends, and each of those 12 people shared seeds with 12 more people. How many people is that? It's 144. Yeah. And then those 144 people each shared seeds with 12 more people. How many people is that? Like a million. It's a, big it's a <laughs> lot of people. It's a lot of people in two years' time. Like that handful yeah. of beans became hundreds of beans. A handful of seed savers became hundreds of seed savers. And I realized that in that moment, every time we save and share seeds, it's, it's that significant. It's an exponential and, and kind of a contagious thing, you know, like you get Absolutely. addicted to it. You really I'm can. Always... Oh, go ahead. You really can. And people say that as a joke. Um, but now, uh, fast forward to modern day time, and I have somewhere around 600 varieties of beans um, that we have storage on the other side wow. of this wall right here. So, yeah, it's you can joke that it can be addictive, but that's an actual fact. I am always amazed at um, when I am gardening or, or even if I'm just eating something I bought from the store and looking at it, how many seeds are inside of one plant, one cucumber or apple or strawberry or whatever. I mean, nature really does give us, you know, in, in just one unit, so many baby, you know, potential babies. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, once you start saving them, they add up really quick and it's really easy to see how you have enough to kind of to share and swap that way if, if you can maintain it. Sure. You know, Mother Nature, um, 
is 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 abundance. She is one with abundance. That's that's kind of her trademark, right? Um, and she ensures the survival of all species by generating so many seeds. You know, she really hedges her bets that way. Um, Mother Nature is something that we could all look to. She she's something that we could all look to for inspiration in so many ways. I was just talking with the lady today, and and we realized that like as we select our seeds to adapt these plants so our garden crops can become better every year. We can look to that to inspire ourselves to see that every year we can improve upon ourselves, just like we do with our garden crops, you know? Um, so through that, we can even learn the, the significance of abundance in our own lives. Man, that's pretty pretty profound. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you, you started beans and the guy that gave them to you kind of kick-started this uh this love for seed saving i guess um and then you took that you know love and and dedication and kind of have started sharing it with the folks around you and now it's kind of been a, a national movement um so how did that all get started how did you start being the the guy that organized these seed swaps and inspired others to i asked my Self that same question sometimes. Um, it really just was an organic thing. It just it, it changed it changed my perspective, saving seeds and understanding my food on a different level. Changed the way that I looked at my relationships with my food, and then after that, my relationships with people. And I saw it as my responsibility to have these conversations with people. I wanted them to see what I saw. And the more that I had these conversations, the more that I realized that I wasn't alone in this. There's people just like me all over the place and the more that we travel and the more that we talk and the more that we share the more that we come to realize that our commonalities far outweigh our differences and it's it's really just taken on a life of its own and how i've ended up where i'm at right now your guess is as good as mine um but i'll continue to do the work that i do until i'm not necessary um at the end of the day my job is to put myself out of business really uh there shouldn't be somebody teaching seed saving that should be something everybody should know yeah. Well, and I, I just hope more and more people start gardening, you know, in general and um, trying to live a little more sustainably. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with this show. And then, you know, seed saving is part of that as well. So I think you, you, you start if you start getting people on board, you know, a little at a time. Um, hopefully they'll they'll get to that point where they're like, yeah, I can do that. That's that's, you know, one more thing that goes right along with all these other things I've been doing. Um, cause, cause I'm going to be honest, when I first started gardening, the idea of saving seeds was so foreign to me. I was just trying to figure out how to get stuff to stay alive and, right. uh, <laughs> get to a point where it's either edible or, you know, I, I know what I did wrong. Um, but you know, it's interesting because we were talking a little before the show and I told you, you know, there some things happen or you make mistakes or the weather changes. And the next thing you know, your plants go to seed and you learn from that because, even though it's frustrating that as the gardener, I don't get to actually eat the food like lettuce or whatever because it goes straight to seed. Um, it's interesting to see that process because then I know, okay, this is what I need to look for next time or this is how seeds are or how these plants reproduce, which is a really cool thing in and of itself. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in every challenge lies opportunity. Um, and we're, we're sure to fail more times than we succeed, um, not just in the garden, but in everything that we do, right? Um, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. That's that's a trade-off for existence. Um, but that's why you plant four times as much as you need, right? <laughs> every <laughs> <Hope> time. 
<laughs> so many <laughs> seeds, and that's exactly why. Let's bring that right back to what you said when you mentioned all the seeds that you'll find inside of a fruit. That's the exact example of that, and that's how we can learn from Mother Nature. She knows that most of those seeds are going to fail, so she puts that many in that package to ensure that a few of them are going to thrive and survive, right? Um, and that's exactly what we need to do with everything. Um, I always suggest gardeners should start with baby steps. It's hard to learn about seeds if you can't get your produce to grow, right? But, you know, little baby steps here and there, push yourself a little bit further, and we can always have that opportunity to learn from our mistakes and, and adapt and grow and when all of our lettuce bolts, what a great opportunity that really is. Yeah, the first time I went out there to get some let harvest some lettuce and I bit into it and it was just so bitter. I, I, I Googled it and I was like, Oh, that's what happens when it flowers <laughs> before you can eat it. So lesson learned. Um on and on a side note, um, we we're talking about how many seeds are in a fruit. Uh, there was a meat. We're, we're recording this in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic right now. Still, uh, there was a meme out there. Uh, someone posted a picture of a strawberry and a knife and it had um, <laughs> just so everyone knows uh, this strawberry had 249 seeds and there's a little pile of seeds. <laughs> so that's apparently how they were keeping themselves occupied during the, the pandemic. Um, I, you know, I've been threshing wheat. <laughs> Um, from last year. So that's how, you know, we've all got to find something to keep ourselves busy. Right. Um, thousands, thousands of wheat seeds for sure. Yeah. And um, I think for a lot of us who garden, this has actually been, I, I hate to say a positive thing, but but it has been good for our gardens. I know I've had a lot more time to get out there and, and experiment. Um, I've actually built a lasagna garden bed, which the thought never would have occurred to me before this. And I have so many plants growing. I don't know what I'm going to do, but um, it has been an interesting time to slow down and kind of um, take stock of what I've got going on out there. So, um, yeah, you know, it's been a blessing, really a blessing in disguise. Um, so I guess another example of opportunity in adversity. Um, I've gotten so many projects around the homestead done that I never would have had time to do. Um, we, we sell seed uh, retail through our website and the surge of interest in gardening has been through the roof. I've never sold so many seeds. We've sold more seeds in the th last three months than I've sold in three years. Um, wow. You know? Yeah, it's been it's been a full-time gig, and we did not expect that, and it's really a blessing because everything else that I would have been doing for work isn't happening anymore. Right. Uh, and so really, so we can look at that, and we can see, you know, it, it's a shame that it would take such a difficult time to get people to focus on themselves this way, but it really has brought people to get themselves their lifestyle choices, the food that they eat, providing for mm -hmm. themselves. Um, it's really just changed people's perspectives in such a way um, that in, in the end um, could have some positive outcomes, really, you know. Yeah, let's let's talk a little more about that. Um, you and I briefly exchanged emails about this, but, um, you know, there has been kind of a resurgence in, in what we're referring to as our victory gardens, our pandemic victory gardens, Um whether it's because folks are bored or they're they're worried they're not going to have access to food because of you know how unstable the supply chain has been, um, it, it's it's been very interesting to me to see how many people have picked up gardening as, as a hobby or as a just means of, of getting food. Um, but I have also heard that there have been a lot of shortages of seeds and it's been hard to come by. You know, a lot of companies are running out, so. I guess what's your experience been with um, – I, I know you don't just work 
you know, with the seeds that you have, but you're kind of familiar with the supply chain and, and how the rest of them kind of, you know, get out there to the public. Have you seen any of that or heard any, you know, reasons, I guess, why or what specific things are in the most demand? Oh, well, absolutely. You know, it, it's been it, the situation caught all of us, obviously, off, off guard. We were, we were not prepared for it. And seed companies were the same. Um, we got into a situation, many of us, where we had to limit our staff for safety. Um, the, the, the demand for seeds increased. Um, the, the supply wasn't what we – I set aside so many seeds that I was like, oh, I'll sell these seeds all year long, and I've run out of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it, we just no way to anticipate the demand for these seeds. Um, where a number of seed companies had to at least pause their websites, um, not completely shut them down, but at least – pause them so they could clean their facilities, they could restock their packets, whatever it may be. And it caused essentially a panic uh, amongst, you know, the, the consumers where they were really concerned that of scarcity. And that's always a fear that people have is of scarcity. We live in a land of abundance. And food and resources are abundant here, unlike they are pretty much anywhere else. Um, but we are too quick to focus on the scarcity in the immediate the immediate scarcity of the situation, right? Uh, like when we ran out of toilet paper, um, people panicked. Ran but I mean, out. In right, right, sure, you know. <laughs> and there's still toilet paper being manufactured. There's toilet paper warehouses. There's toilet paper being shipped. But that immediate need was not able to be met like we're used to having, and it caused a panic. Um, and the same thing happened with seeds. People bought up seeds like never before. And some people bought things that they're used to growing that they know is going to succeed. People bought tomatoes, things like that. Um, but a lot of people became focused on staple crops. You can't live on tomatoes. You might be able to grow tomatoes, but they're not going to sustain you. Uh, but grains and beans and squash, corn, things like that, that, that can actually be stored through the winter, long-term food supply. Um, there was such a run on those things. Uh, it, it, it's not to say that there's not seeds for everybody, but people were not prepared to distribute them like the need arose. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I guess that's all the more reason for folks to try to save their own seeds and become more sustainable so that in the future they don't have to worry about these shortages or perceived shortages, I guess. Um, 100%. So I, I think of it, I, you know, I, I just did a, a one of these Zoom things for uh, the Southern Seed School down in Florida where a bunch of us met to share some ideas about things. And where that conversation led was to what I kind of think of as like the three awakenings of seed savers. Um, you know, in the early in early 1800s, late 1700s was when the first commercial seed company came to America, right? It was shakers that started selling seeds. Up until that point, everybody saved their own seeds. You had to save seeds if you wanted to grow food. You had to grow food if you wanted to eat, right? It was, it was They were one and the same. There was no separation between food and seeds. And then when these seed companies came on onto the horizon, um, people – People were, were natural creatures for convenience, and it was too easy to, to just rely on buying seeds later and not saving your own. And suddenly they realized that if commercial seed companies weren't offering these particular varieties anymore and you didn't save it yourself, it's gone. And there was that awakening where people were like, oh, I need, to, I need to pay better attention to what I'm doing here. And then around 1920, 1930, when hybridized vegetables came onto the market um, and farmers were, were convinced – the hybridized vegetables were the way to go. Um, with hybrid seeds, you can't save them and expect them to come back true to type. If you rely on hybridized seeds, you have to purchase them every year. And suddenly these farmers put themselves into a situation where 
the most basic input on their farm, the seed, they'd given control to somebody else. And then we've come to this awakening where we've realized if we rely on these seed companies, suddenly we don't have access to our food. We don't have food security if we can't provide for ourselves. And then COVID-19 happened, and it was an awakening just like that. Everybody had been so complacent with being able to just purchase their seeds. Now, there's so many wonderful seed companies out there offering such great variety. You know, everywhere you go, all these all scale, small scale, large scale, heirloom providers, just such such abundance of seeds that you can purchase. But if you can't purchase the seeds, what do you have now? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so it's almost like right now we're experiencing that third awakening of the seed saver where we realize that seeds are the cornerstone of our existence. And if we don't understand how to provide for ourselves and to save our seeds and to develop that relationship with our food, then we're at the mercy of whomever has done that for us. And we're seeing right now with the empty store shelves that maybe that's a, that's too fragile, too fragile of a system to rely on. Right. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting because there are a a lot of seeds that are pretty easy to save. Um, I, I, you know, in reading, I haven't read your book all the way, but in kind of looking through it and as a reference for the things that I'm growing, um, I'm like, oh, that's okay. That's pretty easy. Or I've been doing this wrong. But then there are some things, some plants that just, it seems like for them to go to seed, it literally takes, you know, an act of God or everything <laughs> has to line up right, or they have to be in this crazy stage of their development that you never really get to see. So, so for those plants, I guess it makes more sense um, to buy the seeds if, if they are a little less likely to flower or get to that point. Um, or if you have limited space and you can't save that space, but, but for the ones that you can, um, it's definitely very rewarding to, to know like, Oh, I, I maintain that, you know, through, I want to say generations, but I, is that what they're called? I guess for, for plants, is it, is it a Absolutely. Sure. You know, and Jennifer, you're right. It is rewarding. It's the most rewarding thing to do to save the seeds from your food. And there are levels of difficulty. Certainly some seeds are much easier to save than others. Um, but what would you say are the, the key, the, the ones that would probably be best to just buy or not try to save yourself if you're going to pick? Uh, well, okay. So some things that can be difficult, right off the top of my head, I'm going to say carrots. Carrots can be difficult. Um, a number of those crops are, are biennials. Carrots are biennials, right? So that, what that means is it takes a second year of these for, before these plants will produce seeds. They need to be vernalized, overwintered, right? Um, so that in and of itself can be a difficulty for some folks. You got to plant your carrots in the fall, leave them out over the winter, or store them somewhere so they don't get too frozen, and replant them in the spring before they'll trigger that flowering mechanism, right? Um, but the other difficulty with that is that carrots are pollinated by insects, and the Queen Anne's lace, which is a very common weed where I'm at, is the exact same species as all of our carrots, and it can be easily cross-pollinated with my crop. Carrot seeds are very, very difficult for me to produce on my farm. Right, and I'm an experienced seed saver that has been doing it for a long time. And carrot seeds, I'll just buy it from one of my friends before I'm going to try to save it. You know, so that's that's for everybody, regardless of your level. Um, but on the flip side of that coin, and what I think we should focus on is the seeds that are easy to save. Self-pollinating annuals; those are key. Things like beans, peas, your lettuce, tomatoes, peppers, squash, melons, things like that. Those are things that all of us can save with very little effort. You know. People have been saving seeds for thousands of years, right? And, and not not scholars, not not scientists, right? Every person, every person from every walk of life 
has been able to save seeds. And it's something that every one of us can do and should do again. You know, everything seems difficult and challenging if you've never done it before. But once you get out there and try, it's it's all pretty easy to do. Man, it makes me just want to go, even though they're not ready, save all the seeds. I, can I know. Find. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I do try to, uh, I you know, in the past, I've tried to grow things from things I bought in the grocery store. And, and I get mixed success with that because, you know, sometimes they're. They're processed or they've been through a lot of things since they were picked. But, um, man, it's pretty cool when you throw a cucumber seed in from your cucumber and it just pops up with a little sprout, you know. I got a friend at the farmer's market. He sells these little lunchbox peppers. They're great. Little sweet peppers, uh, real small, just a couple inches. You just pop them, snack them, put them in your lunchbox, I suppose, is where they get their name. I love them. I say to him, I said, Andrew, where'd you get your seeds from? Grocery store. Says I bought these at the grocery store, went out in my field eating the peppers and planting the seeds as I walked, and that's where these came from. Oh and they're awesome, right? And still, so, a lot of people will be panicked. Oh, you know, you get hybrids at the grocery store, but these lunchbox peppers are grown in California in a literal monoculture of this variety of peppers, right? Because they're so popular, they're pretty well isolated by themselves. Big field of them. Um, so he took a chance and bought them at the grocery store and planted those seeds. They came back true to type. And uh, he sold out of them at the farmer's market. Every week he had them. People loved them. Wow. Chris, did you have anything you want to jump in there with? Um, I am not a gardener. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be, though, really, really badly. I'm just, for whatever reason, things die in my care other than the humans I've raised. Um, Well, thank goodness. Yeah, no, they're still alive. So what made you get into homesteading? I'm always interested to hear why people initially get into homesteading. We here were moving, but when we first initially bought our property, there were ideas and dreams of turning this into a little micro homestead. But that is, you know, new dreams have happened. But what got you and how big is your homestead as well? Well, the the property here is about three and a half acres, Um, so it's it's we're relatively small. Um, You know, there's another field around the corner that we work with um, that we plant on and such. So you know, but we are we are pretty small. Most of our production here is just for home consumption. We don't sell vegetables at the market or anything like that. Um, We produce seeds and a number of herbal uh, herb based products that we do sell um, from mostly perennial herbs. Or wildcrafting. Our farm, we're located across the street from 1,100 acres of forest. Um, oh, wow. So we're able to, yeah, it's really, really nice. We're kind of secluded, and uh, we can do a lot of foraging out there for our food and medicine as well. So so that's really nice. And I suppose what got us into homesteading, um, well, you know, I've never really trusted the grocery store. Uh, that was just the way that I grew up, I suppose. Um, it was with kind of a do-it-yourself philosophy. Um, even as like a young punk teenager, you know, we were always in a punk band or something like that, right? We were always DIY with everything that we did. And so as I became an adult and had children, to me, it just seemed to make the most sense. Um, so yeah, are you guys familiar, I'm sure, with the Little House on the Prairie books? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so the show. The show. Oh, sure. Right on. Yep. So my great grandmother um, loved those books and because it reminded her of what life was like for her when she was a little girl. Um, and when she was in her last couple of years and she lived in a nursing home, I used to go there and read those books to her. And she really loved them. So those books kind of stuck with me. And then later in life, when, when I had a, you know, my first son, Elijah, I would read those books to him. 
And in the second book, where you are first introduced to the character that becomes Laura Ingalls' husband later on, um, he's a young boy, and he lives on the on the farm with his dad. And the storekeeper comes to town and, and offers to take the boy to town and give him an apprenticeship to teach him how to run the shop. And the dad says to the boy, this is the choice that you have to make, son. Do you want to go to town and learn how to run a shop and be dependent upon other people for everything that you need? Or do you want to stay here and learn how to just to provide for yourself? And that was it, I think. That was reading that chapter made me say, that's what a way to think about the world. Um, why would we spend all of our time rushing around to collect Federal Reserve notes to, to exchange for our basic necessities when maybe we could just stay here and provide for our own necessities right here on our own piece of land. Cool. <laughs> that's no, awesome. It's, yeah, that's great. That's I, we, my, I grew up with, my grandparents are farmers and I spent a lot of time with them and I was always in awe of, of him just being, it came so natural to him and I've lost a lot of that. And I, I we're moving back into town. Like I miss being in town and stuff because the home it just, yeah, but I would like to garden at our new place. We actually have decent soil that we could do it. And I was thinking of starting with lettuce, if that's the easy, like one of the easier things to grow. So I don't get too discouraged <laughs> with growing stuff. Um, lettuce is a great place it. to start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, a pretty sizable movement, I think, um, of folks homesteading in cities or in more urban places it doesn't have to be in you know a large uh, expansive farm I think you can kind of um, do bits and pieces even living in town and just become more self-sufficient in little ways um, even if you can't do everything yourself so I think anything we do you know in that aspect really helps I agree 100%. Just like we talked at the beginning um, about doing things in baby steps, small incremental movement forward. Um, and that's how it should be for all of us. Many of us have limited space, limited resources, maybe even limited knowledge on the subject matter. Uh, but none of that matters at all. It's that desire to try. That's what really matters. And if we could just pick one little thing and try and do it differently, whether that's uh, reducing your carbon footprint or reducing your output of trash or, or, or growing some lettuce on your balcony, whatever in the world it may be, um, saving your pea seeds this year, you know, those little differences add up to big change. Yeah, great, great reminder, um, especially for folks like me who think I've got to do it all right now. <laughs> um, we, we don't have to do everything and we can um, – you know, go slowly so that we learn more and, and have, uh, you know, time to actually devote to these things we're trying to do. Um, okay, so if people want to start um, saving seeds in their own garden or even organize a seed swap in their community, uh, how do they do that? What are some tips that you would offer folks um, who want to get into this world? I would suggest maybe starting to meet some of your community members. If you're interested in starting a seed bank or, or a seed swap or something like that, I think having those conversations with folks is really a good place to get started. Find a local herb society or a master gardener's group or your local community garden and go there and meet some folks. Um, have those conversations. Even if, you know, I guess in this time since we can't get too physically 
um, interactive with each other, maybe find that local gardening group on the internet, right? Uh, their social media and start chatting with folks that way. Um, and, and, and building that network and, and starting that community because what you may not know, they may know and what you don't have, they may have. And, and starting that is, is probably, I think the best place to get going. When we had our first seed swap, like I said, a hundred people came to this thing and I didn't know, I knew maybe 10 of them. We didn't have any advertising. We had no budget. It was literally word of mouth um, that created that. And I don't know how it happened. We tapped into a need that I didn't even realize existed, right? Um, so just just get out there and, and just do something. For somebody interested in starting a seed library, you know, you're going to want to find a place to house your library. I recommend making contact with your local public library system. A number of the seed libraries that I work with are housed inside of actual libraries. Um, and there's a lot of of uh mutual it's mutually beneficial for everybody to do that the libraries benefit from that the community benefits uh, it's a good place to store your seeds um i recommend maybe contact me um at any time people are welcome to get a hold of me anytime they want you can give them my contact info you know um the community seed network community seed network.org is the uh organization that i'm on the advisory council for and our website is packed full of Everything anyone would want to know that wants to start a seed swap or a seed library. Uh, there's an interactive map on there that you can visit if you want to find seed savers or gardeners in your area. It's on that map. You can go put yourself on that map and start to develop the community that way, right? Just having conversations and, and just just meeting the people is the best place to start any forward-thinking movement, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, like you said, starting with the the master gardeners or the the local herb societies is a great place because those are folks who are already probably doing it or who know people who garden and would be likely to do something like that. Um, and then you you can start reaching those newbies or the folks who are, you know, just oh, what is this? Um, kind of passing through. Um, I know in our area, the Austin Public Library has a seed catalog seed library that I got to go to before all this happened and it was kind of neat it was just a little tiny little old card catalog that was organized alphabetically and they had little envelopes that volunteers had stuffed with a few seeds of what you wanted and you you wrote down what you took and then they asked you you know bring more back um but it was such a cool concept cool. And, and this was even before I met you so I, it, that was the first time I had been introduced to that that idea and I was like wow this is just so neat and simple and, and something that, you know, every community should have. Um, but it does take a lot of volunteers. I always, I followed them on Facebook and I'm always seeing them post about they need help, you know, filling the envelopes and sorting seeds and doing all this stuff. So it doesn't just happen. It, it takes. No, it doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of love and a lot of effort. And that's another reason really that to making connections with your local master gardeners is a good idea because master gardeners have a certain number of volunteer hours they have to put in every year. Um, and so they're a great resource to tap into, not only for their knowledge base, um, but for packaging seeds or whatever your volunteer needs may be. Um, Master Gardeners, they're just, they're, it's a wonderful resource for sure. And when it comes to, um, I guess, the supplies needed to do like a seed swap, I mean, you mentioned, I think in your talk, you know, little envelopes are great or tiny little baggies. So people can start saving those as, you know, they get things or, or even, um, just, just like I've been putting my seeds in an old medicine bottle, you know, um, anything really that has a lid or that can, can seal is a great container. Upcycling is, is great for this. 
Absolutely it is, you know. So we do use little coin envelopes or little Ziploc bags and things like that. Um, but for the most part, you're going to have to purchase those somewhere. Um, but you can upcycle things like pill bottles I see a lot of. Um, I use mason jars of all sizes. And you could probably use jars from your kitchen. Um, you know, if you use your, I don't know, your spaghetti sauce or something, wash out that jar and fill it with seeds. You know, absolutely. And, and you can just put those out. You can fit a lot of seeds in one of those, you know. Um and then at these seed swaps, I always provide baggies and markers for folks that want to bag up their seeds and take them. And people that are new to it and never been to it before certainly are going to use that resource. But these old school seed keepers that just seem to come out of the woodwork for these events, they'll come with a whole bag of supplies because they know that people are going to need that. And they'll bring some for themselves and they'll bring some for everybody else. Um, you know, and, and these are going to be people that are already in your community that you don't realize that they're there. And I find that every time I go to a new town, um, there are seed keepers everywhere. People just like me that just don't realize that there's people like us everywhere. It's just start that conversation that brings them out. So. Yeah, and you mentioned too. I think um, a lot of times the seed companies will, if you write to them, they'll send you their leftover stock from the previous season for free or for a discounted rate, maybe shipping. Um, maybe not this year since it sounds like a lot of them are getting wiped out, but. Uh, that, that's a pretty, you know, neat, um, resource as well. If you're looking, if you tell them, Hey, I'm doing a seed swap. Do you have anything extra we could, you know, use to get us started? Oh yeah. And I recommend that even this year to reach out to some of the larger companies, you know, uh, seed savers exchange or high mowing, um, Fedco, Baker Creek, uh, heirloom seed company. Um, you know, and they've obviously put out a lot more seeds this year than normal, but they're, always more than happy to share their abundance and in the fall in the winter after their growing season's over and they're trying to get rid of the last year's stock make room for the new supplies they're usually more than happy to share seeds so reaching out to them um if you visit their websites they tend to have a donation tab somewhere on their website that you can find and uh yeah it's usually free or a nominal charge maybe like you said just the shipping or something but it's relatively inexpensive to get some seeds and i like to do that we do that for our events just because I only got so many seeds and the people that come may only have so many seeds, but I want to make sure that everybody that visits the event is going to take home the seeds that they need. And these seed companies understand that and they are more than happy to help support the cause for sure. Yeah. And um, let's say folks get, you know, more seeds than they need or they have leftovers at the end of the season. Um, how do they store those? What's the best way? Is freezing them a good idea or... I mean, how long do sure. they last? Now, the, the, the rule of thumb is really it's a cool, dark place. You want to keep your seeds in a cool, dark place. Um, you want to avoid heat, fluctuations in temperature, moisture, humidity, things like that. Um, so now you have to think about your seed storage needs. If I'm just looking to store my seeds until next year, short term, um, then it's not quite as critical uh, to, 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 to freeze my seeds or something like that. I could keep them in a, in a mason jar in the closet. And they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, we renovated on the other side over here. Uh, it used to be a bathroom in our house. It was like the master bath, and we took all the plumbing out of it and turned it into seed storage. Um, and it's 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 an unheated room. It stays at a nice level temperature all the time, and that works well for short-term storage of seeds. If you're looking to store your seeds longer term than that, the colder the seeds are, uh, the the metabolism flows down and they'll last longer. If you put seeds in the freezer, they will outlast all of us. Um, I got some seeds from a young man. I was down in Berea, Kentucky for an event, and, and this young man showed up, and he says, oh, I got these seeds out of my grandma's freezer 
in North Carolina. They've been in the freezer for 50 years. I don't even know what they are. Some some yellow tomatoes. And I was like, I'll take them, man. Because, uh, right, you know. So I was like, I'll try to grow those things. And there was 10 seeds in there. And at seven, seven of the 10 seeds, 70% germination on these seeds that have been in the freezer in an envelope in a wow. freezer for 50 years, right? Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, keeping the seeds cold will definitely work. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like a little treasure. You know, seeds are little treasures. And when you can have something like that happen, and even the story gets better because not only did seven of those ten seeds germinate, but they grew the biggest, most delicious tomatoes that I grew that year. Um, you got more awesome. seeds. I got so many seeds. I've been distributing these seeds. We call them Old Carolina because they were old seeds from North Carolina. And we've been distributing them. They're on our website, I think, still. We've been passing them around. Um, they're awesome. Big whopper, pound and a half, two pound tomatoes, bicolors, yellow tomatoes with the red cord. They're beautiful, delicious, productive. They were disease resistant. I couldn't even believe it. It was like, what a score. Um, from this, All from something this that big, like the, no bigger than like the eraser of your pencil or something. Smaller than that, right? And yeah. all that comes out of it. Yeah. They're, they're little miracles. They sure are. Um, it was what, what a great thing. And all seeds are like that. Really? They're, 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 they're little treasures. So, uh, okay. This is, this is a little bit of a caveat. Um, but there is such a thing as the international seed vault, right? And that's, if I understand correctly, that's where they try to store all of the heirloom varieties and kind of keep the continuity of these species alive as well as have a backup uh, you know, supply of, of a lot of the, the seeds out there? Yes. Svalbard. Um, it's also affectionately known as the Doomsday Vault, right? Um, just in case there's a bad scene somewhere and we don't have seeds. Um, and it certainly serves a purpose. And maintaining this preservation of these these genetics is, is crucial, right? Because we could, we could tap back into that germplasm if need be to not only restock our supply, but to then breed the heirlooms of tomorrow, right, to be prepared for this, these future needs. Um, but it makes me anxious when we talk about things like that because if, if we can rely, if we, if we let our minds rely on this doomsday vault, it, again, humans are creatures of convenience. And if we can feel too comfortable and warm and fuzzy thinking that somebody else is preparing for doomsday, then we think that maybe we don't have to. And then we find ourselves in a situation where, we're again, relying on somebody else's seeds to provide for our own food security. Seeds that are frozen in time. But in reality, the greatest seed bank is in the soil. When we plant our seeds in the soil and select for the traits that we enjoy, select for the plants that do the best in our climate, and save those seeds and share them amongst our communities, that is true food security, right? There's nothing better than putting seeds in the soil. And if we can if we find ourselves resting on our laurels and thinking that somebody else can handle it, we're setting ourselves up for, I guess, what would be the fourth awakening when we realize that maybe we should have been saving our seeds the whole time. So we can avoid that by just saving our own seeds now. Yeah. Very cool. It's interesting to know that something like that's out there, but yeah, it's, it's also, uh, it can be a little disturbing too to think, you know, Oh, well, They've got it taken care of. Um, plus, they've they've probably still got the same issues of having to rotate and replace when these seeds get you know become unviable and everything. So it's it's not a perfect solution by any means. Oh no, it's not. You know, if you go to Decorah, Iowa, to the Seed Savers Exchange, um, where their farm is at, 
heritage farm there, uh, which is a beautiful place, and they put on some great events. And I really recommend everybody should try to go there to check it out at least once. Um, they do a big conference and camp out and stuff in July. Um, they have a vault there where they've got, oh, I don't know, something like 25,000 uh, varieties in, the, in this freezer vault. And it is comforting to know that it's there. It's it's awe-inspiring to even see something like that, you know, like, wow, um, wow, it's it's amazing. But we, we just can't let ourselves get too comfortable expecting other people to take care of these things. Um, and I think the time that we're in right now is the best example we could have of why it's so important to, to, to know how to do these things ourselves, too. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about um, hybrids and heirlooms. Um, can you, I guess, for the benefit of our listeners, maybe we should have done this earlier, but kind of tell us what the difference is between those. And then also um, maybe we can explore you know, GMO seeds, if, if there is such a thing, um, you know, what, what's the difference between that and the other types and the benefits and drawbacks of each? Okay. Um, so when we're saving and sharing seeds amongst our community, what we're looking for is actually it's open pollinated, open pollinated seeds. Um, it's in, in the most simple definition of an open pollinated seed is, is when these plants are left to their own devices to naturally pollinate openly with the plants around them they will produce seeds true to the maternal plant um so a really simple example would be i grow amish paste tomatoes it's a delicious open pollinated variety i can save the seeds from that plant it next year i can expect to get amish paste tomatoes right open pollinated you'll see it on seed packs labeled op i like to tell people you got to get down with opp that's the key um, it's all about open pollinated. there's a whole song about it it's about open pollinated plants right um, this is converse to say a hybrid. A hybrid is, is a word that we've used a lot. Now, what, what a hybrid is when you take two plants of the same species, and that's key, of the same species, and we'll talk about that in a second. Two plants of the same species, cross-pollinate them with each other to get that new variety, that hybrid, F1, first-generation hybrid, right? And a lot of the produce in our grocery stores, a lot of things that we're going to get our hands on are hybridized. Um, and there's pros and cons to that. For the most part here in the States, we hybridize vegetables um, to make them long-lasting, right? I want to be able to grow all of my produce in California and load it onto a truck and drive it all around the country and drop it off at various grocery stores and have it sit on a shelf for two weeks before somebody buys it and have it still be edible. Um, so we don't necessarily hybridize for flavor and nutritional value, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, so the trick with hybrids, this F1, if I take seeds from this F1 hybrid, and I save them and plant them the next year, I'll get the F2, right? Second generation hybrid. Um, and in that second generation hybrid, the F2, is every potential genetic expression that we could have gotten from the first initial cross. To put that simply, um, you don't know what those seeds are going to produce, right? It could be like the maternal plant or the paternal plant or a long lost cousin or you don't know. And if you're a plant breeder, that's a pretty exciting time. Every plant could be different. Everything, wild diversity in your garden. Um, and that's a fun a fun, fun time for some folks. But if you're trying to grow your own food, it can get kind of frustrating. Here's an example, right? A <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of the uh, hybrid corn that we get, a lot of sweet corn is hybridized, right? Super sweet hybrid corn. Now, the gene that causes corn to be sweet is a recessive gene. And if you save the seeds from a F1 hybridized sweet corn and plant them again the next year, 
the likelihood of that producing a sweet corn at all is about 20%. Not good odds. And that can be very frustrating. So when we're saving and sharing seeds, when we're beginning seed savers, if we're working with a seed library, we want to stick with open pollinate. Um, that, that's really the key. Now we can talk about heirlooms. Um, heirlooms is a fancy catchphrase that people like to use to sell things to people. Um, but in, in, in the most basic sense, people use the word heirloom. Um, it's kind of a benchmark for a seed that has been saved and passed down for 50 years or more. Once you hit 50 years, now that's kind of the benchmark. It's become an heirloom. A seed does not need to be heirloom to save it, right? Open pollinated is what we're looking for. Um, but if somebody's been saving and sharing a seed for 50 years or more, uh, there might be a good enough reason we want to consider saving those seeds too, right? Uh, maybe they're just delicious. Maybe it's a sentimental reason. Maybe it's the best dang bean you ever had. I don't know. But whatever that reason is, is something maybe we should consider saving it too. So that kind of breaks down those three terms. Um, to get into GMO, I don't know how long your program is. Um, <laughs> that's something we could talk about We've all got day. Got about 10 more hours, so no. Right, right. Oh, perfect. Well, we'll begin at the beginning. Now, um, so a, a genetically modified organism, they certainly do exist. Um, the difference between a GMO and a hybrid. Now, when we talk about hybrids, remember we mentioned that it's two plants of the same species. That's something that happens in nature. That's how it works. Genetically modified organisms is when they cross genetics from plants that are not of the same species. They would never be able to naturally cross with each other. Sometimes on a genetic level, they're inputting bacteria, uh, genetics from animals, um, all sorts of things that could only happen inside of a laboratory. And the reason they behind that is because of our large-scale agricultural system that we live in. Um, and people will debate the pros and cons of it forever. And I don't know if anyone will ever agree on it. And people will debate whether or not it's good for us forever. And really, it's difficult to find conclusive science to tell us if it's a threat to our health or not, consuming genetically modified crops. But I can tell you that a number of genetically modified crops are modified specifically to withstand heavy doses of, of pesticides and herbicides. And we do know that the residual herbicides and pesticides that then end up on our food that we consume is not good for us. So while and the, in the, the waterways and the, and the, in the waterways <laughs> and yeah and it, yeah. and, and it, it becomes part of the entire system and it becomes a problem in, in so many different aspects because everything in nature is connected right. Um, so it's a slippery slope when we think about GMOs and some people can get pretty emotional about it. But at the end of the day, we can come back to looking at nature as our guide, and she's never needed it to survive. We can look at our indigenous populations that lived on this planet for thousands of years uh, with never having to genetically modify their food, and we can realize that true food security comes from the abundance of nature that already exists, and it's probably not something that we need to tamper with. Wow. That's You're... what I say about GM. You are just a wealth of knowledge on uh, plants and seeds and everything that grows in the ground. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that, but, you know, there's always room for me to learn more. I learn new stuff every day. Um, every time I'm out in the woods or in a field or eating a meal, there's an opportunity for me to learn something new, too. And that's the beauty of the world that we live in. Um, I don't think anybody can ever be considered an expert on anything. Uh, we're just really enthusiastic about learning. Yeah. 
I am always fascinated. I, I have friend, a lot of friends that garden, and I swear I probably pester them to death about, you know, with questions or look at this thing that I grew or this bug that I found <laughs> or, you know, like just stupid things that they're probably like, oh, God. But it's once you get started and you find someone that knows these things, it's it's hard to <laughs> to, to not talk to them about it because it's just will- so fun. I will say, though, my, at our new house, I told my mom, because it's a blank slate. The people who um, lived there previously had two small children, so they didn't do anything to the backyard. They just wanted to keep it blank. So I told my mom, I'm like, Mom, go ahead, do whatever. And she was so excited. She has got plans. She She's kind of come up every week. And she and I did have to remind her that it's me taking care of it, so she's got to sort of <laughs> – it's a balance. Um, but she's excited. So – I, I bug her about everything. I'm like, what is this? How does it grow? Do I have, and I, which seems silly because I went to school for three years for park and forest recreation. You'd think I'd remember some of this and I don't. Um, but how does, how does it, how do you know when it needs to be cut back? How far do you cut it back? And is this a weed or is this part of the new plant? And she, she just loves telling me about it. So I don't look at it as pestering. I, try to think of it as indulging her <laughs> so she gets to just preach to me and she and she does she it, it's helpful for me too because I do want to learn and I I do like gardens and I would like to grow my own food and to some degree we've planted apple trees out here at our place that we have now and we were very excited and we got eight apples they were tiny but Aww. we got them it's um, a start it's a start and I am sad to leave them but I'm also excited to have um, a like a like kind of like a proper garden where I can where the soil's rich. We've really rocky soil here. We basically live on an old lime quarry, so it's just nothing but rock. So it's very hard to grow things here, and I'm excited to have more fertile ground to plant stuff. Corn, for some reason, I want to know how to grow corn. I heard it's hard, but I want to Somebody why. gave me some corn seeds. Um, my neighbor moved out, and this pack was like two years expired, had been, I don't know where it had been stored. I thought, these are never going to grow. I tested one. That thing shot right up, so I planted a ton outside, and almost every one of them took. So There you go. Whatever I have, and, and they were, you know, an organic line or whatever, it, it, that, that brand was not difficult, but, you know that could have just been dumb luck with that pack too. So the things that I think are going to be really hard sometimes I'm like, Oh, that was simple. But then the ones that should be easy, you know, it's, it's corn. It's you know, the challenges for corn is you want to make sure that your soil's warm enough. Um, you know, if you're working with a new hybrid corn, they, they've developed a lot of corns that are cold tolerant in the soil for sure. But if you plant your corn uh, before the soil is like 65 degrees, uh, it's not going to do very well. So you want a nice warm soil and corn is a grass, right? It's poaceae. It's, 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 it's a heavy feeder. It needs a lot of nitrogen, right? So if you can compost in advance with, uh, like a chicken manure, something like that, something that's a high nitrogen fertilizer, that's going to really feed those plants and then they're going to really do well for you. So th- those are the two tricks to getting corn going. And then, uh, I, corn's one of my favorite things to grow. She, she mesmerizes me every time. For I sure. love it. My daughter had braces for two years and couldn't eat corn on the cob. And then recently she got them off and we found corn on the cob and she almost cried. She was so happy to eat it. She didn't have her braces on anymore. So. Uh, Poor Logan. Yeah, poor Logan. 
<laughs> I love corn. I love popcorn. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so healthy, too. <laughs> the popcorn's fine. It's just all the stuff you put on it. Yeah, yeah, and I put all the stuff on it. Butter, yeah. salt, just, just load it up, man. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that is a good point uh, about, you know, you said your mom is excited to share all this. I, I do she think is, that people, yeah. once you find someone who knows this stuff, they are just so excited to find someone else who wants to learn and who is interested in, in living this sustainable lifestyle that they're happy to share. Um, I just joke that, you know, oh God, I'm bugging my friends again with another stupid, you know, plant picture or, or bug question or something, but um you know, they, they learn from someone, so they're they're sharing the love now, I guess. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure and you, I'll do that you someday. Get a hold of me anytime you have any seed related questions. You can get a hold of me whenever you want, and I would be happy to talk about seeds with you. Um, yeah. I, I I agree that I think that like folks that are passionate about certain topics love to have that opportunity to talk about it. Um, I can't just stop somebody in the grocery store and tar- start talking to them about seeds. Um, I would like to sometimes. But. Did you know that that pepper you're holding is going <laughs> to plant really well? Right. <laughs> dude, yeah. Six feet away, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely have started nerding out over this, too. We talked a little before the show about um, the, the different things that I've been trying. So, um, for instance, my neighbors behind me have an amazing garden, and – they plant these heirloom poppies every year and they've started spilling over into my yard. And this year I actually went out and, you know, saved a few of the, the Yay. buds and um, these things like you just, the, the seeds just like come pouring out of them. You know, there's just like hundreds of seeds in this little pot. So I'm going to give those away once I have, you know, at the end of the season. Um, and then <laughs> over the winter um, I let the broccoli plants go to flower and they, form these little pods so I just kept them in the ground and I have now hundred dozens of pods sitting on my counter waiting for me to just like pull the seeds out of <laughs> cool that's where it starts right there yeah um, so I just have these you know. piles of half finished you know projects that I'm like cool I'll get to you someday you're gonna need a whole room full of seeds soon I know I'm gonna need to make my second bathroom into a seed closet <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is fun. Like once you get started, it's like, Oh, how can I save these? Or what do they look like when they go to seed? Cause they do look a lot different sometimes than the plant itself that you're used to eating. So, Oh, I think we lost Chris. Um, <laughs> so oh, yeah. yeah um, it, it, I want to thank you for, you know, kind of turning me on to the world of seed saving and, and getting me a little deeper down the rabbit hole of gardening. And, um, <laughs> Self-sustainability, I guess, um, yeah. especially right now when I actually have time to do some of it. I'm happy that I could get you turned on, you know. Um, that's super cool. I, I think that, again, this is going to come back to what I keep saying about having these conversations with people. Um, the more that we can, we have these conversations with folks, the more people, once you, once you try it, you're going to love it. Uh, you're going to be hooked. So just get out there and, and, and plant some seeds and save some seeds and uh, we'll all be better for it. <laughs> Literally planting some seeds to plant seeds. <laughs> I like it. Um, so do you have any other resources that you would suggest for listeners uh, to, you know, if, if they're interested in learning more? I know you've mentioned a few websites and organizations, but any books, podcasts, any anything else you would share with folks? Well, you know, not to be uh, 
a shameless self-promoter, but I would highly recommend my book, Saving Our Seeds, uh, for folks that are interested in learning how to save their seeds. Um, and the reason I would recommend it really is, is you know, I've taken a decade's worth of experiences and distilled it into what I can only say is, is the most user-friendly seed-saving guide um, out there. I, I really wanted to make it something that people of all skill levels could, could pick up and, 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 and benefit from. Um, so I do recommend that. We've got it on our website right now. It's free shipping and everything um, at smallhousefarm.com. So that is something that I definitely recommend to folks. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, that would be my biggest recommendation right now. Awesome. Yeah, it's got some great photos, um, pictures of the seeds, pictures of the plants, explanations on how they grow or how to get the seeds. Um, a lot of cool stories in here and – even <laughs> this one was useful for me, hand pollinating squash, you know, like anecdotes about just different things you're trying to do in the garden, um, hand pollination, all that stuff. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, and it, is it for sale, you said, on your website? It is. Yep, it's, well, you can buy it on Amazon or bookstores and all those sorts okay. of places as well. But if they buy it off the website, they can get the free shipping. It'll be autographed. Uh, my first oh, nice. book is also on there. Um, and some of the seeds that we talk about in the book, uh, some of the varieties are actually available on our website as well. So, uh, cool. it's kind of an all in one, um, experience, right? Yeah. And, and you, um, said that you travel and do speaking engagements throughout the year. So I know right now travel is a little, um, up in the air, but do you have any events scheduled for later this year or, you know, down the road that you can, that folks maybe could hear you speak at or meet you at? I do. Um, you know, a lot of things, like you said, are up in the air. Um, so I, our, our website does have a calendar uh, where people can find where I'm going to be at. Um, next week on the 14th, actually, this will be kind of fun, at 2 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to be doing a live stream for Slow Food USA on their Facebook and Instagram. There's going to be a few of us, some seed savers from around the country, are going to be doing a live stream uh, seed saving. Uh, it's going to be a part workshop, part lecture type of thing, and I think that'll be really fun. Um, and then I've got some cool stuff in the fall, but it's really hard to, to lock anything down right now. So I just recommend visiting the website. It's got that calendar. If folks yeah. want to, we can social media, uh, small house farm is on Facebook and Instagram, um, at small house farm. So people can find us that way and stay in touch. And I'd be happy to chat about seeds with anybody anytime. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'm uh, going to have to check out your seed catalog uh and maybe order some for for the next season since uh, i didn't realize you guys sold seeds i don't know why i didn't think think about that but it makes total sense so um cool well was there anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't you know get to talk about or anything you thought of in the middle of our conversations well you know um you had mentioned before in preparation for our conversation that you always like to have your guests share a green hack um, Absolutely, yeah. Let's let's do our green life hacks. I, you know, I tried to think of a really good one that might be unique um, to my philosophy in the world, and I thought that the greatest green life hack that people could do is to learn to look at their food a little bit differently than they look at it right now. Um, we we are, are so accustomed to seeing our food from a certain way and seeing certain things as food and other parts of the plant as waste, and, and that's not the case. You know, if we think about things like broccoli, and if you go to the grocery store, they sell the head, the floret of the broccoli plant, um, and that's what people are used to eating. But the entire broccoli plant's edible, the stalk, the flowers, the leaves, all of it. 
radishes, the pods, the leaves, the, the roots, carrot leaves, all those things are edible. Um, and I, th I think that once we learn to look at our food and develop that relationship with it and see it for what it really is, we realize truly that we live in a land of abundance and that no one should ever go without because we have everything that we need right underneath of our feet if we just learn to look for it. And I think that starting with our food and seeing it from a different angle is the key to that perspective. Yeah, what a, what a great challenge to folks to, you know, consider either new ways of, of preparing their food or uh, how to use every part of the, the vegetable or whatever you're, you're cooking. Um, there's the, the documentary Wasted, you know, I think, I think it was Anthony Bourdain's last um, project, actually, where he talks about food waste and he kind of explores it around the world. They talk about that. Um, different chefs that are coming up with these innovative new ways to cook different parts of animals and plants. And, and some of the things that they're cooking on animals, I don't think I could bring <laughs> myself to eat. But um, but yeah, it was a little eye opening of, oh, wow, we, we really do throw away half of the edible parts of these plants that we're, we're eating. So. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a great tip for folks. When it comes down to the parts of the animals, um, I suppose it just depends on how hungry you are, really. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so my green life hack this month, you know, last month it was uh, to start a garden or plant something if you're able to, even if it's just a small little you know, herb garden on your balcony. Uh, but this month, since we are still kind of, in the middle of this pandemic, uh, just to kind of build on that, mine is just to get outside, try to be in nature as much as you can, especially if you've been locked up in your house uh, indefinitely or you've only been able to go out for the you know, grocery runs or whatever. Uh, I think a lot of us you know, are, are starting to really feel the effects of, of being at home constantly. And, and it can have tolls on our mental and emotional health. Um, and, you know, study after study has shown that being in nature really does help with our emotional well-being and just helps make us happier and more productive people. So if you're able to get out in your yard or your garden, do that. Um, but if you can't, you know, go to the park and walk safely, social distance, or, you know, try to just walk around the block um, and get some sunshine, look at some trees and flowers, animals, whatever you've got around you, and uh, just just be in nature, let nature, you know, do its thing and, and heal you a little bit. Because I know for me, being able to get out in that garden and just having the beautiful weather that we've had that will not last much longer in Texas uh, has been very cathartic and, and helpful at this very stressful time. So that is my green life hack. Um, so one more time, Ben, do you want to plug uh, where folks can find you online and any social media um, or anything that you have out there? Yep, sure. So our website, smallhousefarm.com, is a great place to find uh, more about our farm. You can buy my books and seeds and uh, a number of our herbal wellness products that we craft with herbs that we grow here on our farm at smallhousefarm.com. A small house farm is also how you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram. And we just started a new YouTube channel with this extra time that we have on our hands where we, um, we do a number of seed-saving demonstrations and some uh, foraging-type things. And that's also Small House Farm. Cool. We'll definitely check that out. 
Uh, you can find me online on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. I'm also on the uh, Epically Geeky show, which is the parent show for this one, and uh, Marginally Geeky and Creatively Geeky. Um, we have a theme going, if you can't tell. Um, and then you can find the show itself on YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Instagram and Twitter um, at Sustainably Geeky. We're also on all of the regular podcast channels. So please, um, wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe to us, like us, rate us, share us with your friends. That really does help get the word out. If you have topic suggestions for us, let us know. Uh, we are, you know, open to implementing those into some of our shows. Um, and yeah, please, please support the show any way that you can. Ben, thank you so much for being on and sharing your, your knowledge with us. I am inspired to go out and do even more and start a bunch of new projects that maybe I'll finish someday. <laughs> bunch of new seed piles around the house. Um, but yeah, good luck with your farm and uh, I hope you guys, you and your family are, you know, stay safe during this crazy time and are able to kind of keep up with everything. Thanks, Jennifer, for, ha for having me on the show. It was really been a lot of fun. All right. It was great talking to you. Everyone listening, have a great rest of your day. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network.